Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Hello there, I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Canadians in Old Time Radio. Well, to start things off tonight, we have a comedy from our Made in Canada file. It's actually from the CBC Stage series, and it's called All About Emily. Once upon a time, there was a farmer called Mr. Pennington, Mr. Donald Pennington. Mr. Pennington was a gentleman farmer. That is, he lived in the city and commuted out to his farm at weekends because that was the way Mrs. Pennington wanted things. Mr. Pennington would have liked to live in the country all the time because Mr. Pennington was a poetical type farmer, even in the rain. In fact, whenever it rained, Mr. Pennington would go outside and look at the flowers and say, There is a flower that is a celandine that shrinks like many more from cold and rain and dwells beside the river duck. Moreover, Mr. Pennington could never hear a cuckoo without at once speaking to it, like this. Oh, cuckoo, shall I call thee bird or but a wandering voice, whom there are none to praise and very few to love? You can easily see that Mr. Pennington was undoubtedly the most poetical type farmer you or I ever heard of. Luckily, Mr. Pennington's wife, whose name was Mrs. Pennington, was not at all the poetical type. If Mr. Pennington had met a friend on one of his walks in the intervals between listening to cuckoos and looking at lesser celandines, Mr. Pennington would say to his good lady, Mrs. Pennington, ran into Matthew this morning. We talked with open heart and tongue, affectionate and true, a pair of friends. Though I was young and Matthew seventy-two, and fair as a star when only one is shining in the sky. If you must quote Wordsworth, Donald, you might at least get it right. Yeah, you're wrong there, my love. Many other poet, yes, get it right by all means, but not Wordsworth. As a matter of fact, Wordsworth is vastly improved by misquotation, a claim which cannot, I think, be made on behalf of any other poet of comparable reputation. Wordsworth, you see, my love, is not in any ordinary sense Do of words. Do stop babbling about Wordsworth, Donald, and listen to me for a moment. Uh, very well, my love. I am all ears. I have purchased a goose. A goose? Yes, Donald, a goose. A live goose. What on earth for? We shall keep the bird till Christmas. We shall then kill it and eat it. What shall we do with it in the meantime? In the meantime, the bird's status will be that of household pet. I think we ought to call it Emily. Are you sure? What do you mean, am I sure? Are you sure it's an Emily? Mightn't it be a uh, Robert, say? I think not. In any case, we're perfectly safe if we call it Emily. If we call it Robert and it then proceeds to lay eggs, that would be a tiresome complication. On the other hand, Emily will be entirely appropriate. Eggs or no eggs. Your logic overwhelms me, my love. 
Where is Emily? In a crate under the sink, see? Oh, yes. You can let her out after lunch. It'll be something for you to do. All right. Hello, Emily. Nice goose. Good goose. Oh, my word, isn't she enormous? More like a young elephant than a bird. Hail to thee, blithe spirit. Bird thou never wert. After lunch, Mr. Pennington took Emily out into the yard. She was indeed a fine-looking bird. Mr. Pennington was very pleased with her and addressed her several times by name, as follows. Emily, good goose. Hello, Emily. Nice, Emily. Then Mrs. Pennington addressed him by name. Donald! Yes, dear? Stop talking to that silly goose and finish your job. What job, my love? Clear this smelly old crate out of here. Yes, dear. So Mr. Pennington said goodbye to Emily for the moment. Goodbye, Emily, for the moment. And went in and got the crate. Emily, oh, it's very heavy. Is it? Oh, my word, yes. And there's something rattling in it. What, dear? I said it rattles. Listen. What can it be? How should I know? It's something under this straw. What is? Whatever it is that rattles. I think it's pebbles. Don't talk nonsense, dear. How could it be pebbles? I don't know, but it is. Oh, I found one. My word, it's heavy, too. Uh, come over to the window and look at it. I'm busy, dear. I don't want to look at pebbles. But this pebble was in Emily's crate. I don't care, Donald. Do please hurry up and take that crate away and sweep up the straw, too, when you've done that. Maud! Maud! It isn't a pebble at all. <laughs> what is it, then? Well, now I've got it into the light... You know what it is? It's an egg. I was right about it being an Emily, then. But, Maud, look at it. Feel it. This is a golden egg. Our goose has laid a golden egg. Goosey, goosey gander, whither do you wander? Upstairs and downstairs and... Laying golden eggs all over the place. Donald, there's no excuse for misquoting that thing. It isn't Wordsworth. Isn't it? It sounds like him. Donald, please pull yourself together. What are we going to do about it? Ah, 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 good question, my dear. A very good question. Now, I'm glad you asked that question. It shows you've been thinking. Goosey, goosey, gander, whither do you want? Well, uh, what are we going to do? I haven't the faintest idea. Must do something. That bird is worth a fortune. How do you know? Donald, don't be tiresome. How do you know Emily laid the egg? It's only circumstantial evidence. How do you know somebody didn't put it in the crate? Why would anyone want to do that? As a hoax. <laughs> Perhaps uh, some merry fellow uh, playing a lively jig. Don't be preposterous. The thing's worth thousands of dollars. Then let's sell it. Do you really think we ought? I wouldn't have said so if I didn't think so. However, it's up to you. It's your goose. Next morning, Mr. and Mrs. Pennington found another fine golden egg in the garden. So evidently it wasn't a hoax, nor was some merry fellow playing a lively jape. Look! Here's another golden egg. We'll have to keep Emily indoors from now on. It wouldn't do to have Emily laying golden eggs all over the place. The neighbors might object. 
Not everybody is fond of goose eggs. And that very morning, Mr. and Mrs. Pinnington went into town to see the people in the bank about the two golden eggs. Good morning. I want to see the manager, please. In a flash, the manager was standing in front of them. Good morning, madam. Good morning, sir. Are you the manager? Yes, madam. What can I do for you? A small loan, perhaps, to tide over some trifling financial embarrassment? Only 8% interest and absolutely not a vestige of security whatsoever. Simply your word is good enough for us if backed by the signatures of 25 prominent citizens. Thank you very much, but not today. As a matter of fact, we want to sell something. You want to sell something? We want to sell some eggs. Eggs? Eggs. Uh, goose eggs. This is a bank. You will find a grocer in the next block. I wish you a very good morning. Well, uh, actually, these are golden eggs. Golden? Uh, made of gold. Uh, look. Go on. Good heavens. Where did you get these? Our goose laid them. Her name is Emily. A likely tale. Hands up. Hands, Hands up. up. You two are going to stay here till the police arrive. What have we done wrong? Don't you know it's forbidden for private persons to have any gold? You criminals! Where did you get them? Come on, where did you get them? From Emily. What's her name and address? Confess and you'll get off like You'll only get 20 years if you confess. Emily. Emily is our pet goose. She laid them. She is the goose that lays the golden eggs. Her name is Emily and we own her. That's all there is to it. A very stubborn case. Hit him. Oh, a very stubborn case. Hit her. Eek, stop hitting me. I told you the truth. We got them from the goose. She laid them. Emily laid them. This Emily sounds like a fence to me. Me too. Hit her again. Eek, hit him again. 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 After several hours of this sort of closely reasoned questioning, it was decided that the Pinningtons were telling the truth. Do you know what my angle on this case is? No, what? My angle is they're telling the truth. So all charges of barratry, arson, treason, and rape were dropped, and fresh charges of cruelty to animals, undermining the confidence of the nation and defacing the coinage were laid. Also, Emily herself was sent for. She was to be taken along to see the district attorney to the particular amusement of the jaded court reporters who were not accustomed to see birds being taken in to see the D.A. What the heck you got there, Clancy? Use your eyes, can't you? You're going to be a farmer, Clancy? <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. This is the goose that lays the golden eggs, boys. Yeah, and I'm Little Red Riding Hood. No, I'm <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood. You're Bo Peace. Yuck, yuck, All right, break it up now, you bums. Break it up. <laughs> there you are. Now you've upset her with your carrying on. Yeah, what about your hollering? Here, look out. Boys, I, I, I think she's going to lay another egg. You've laid an egg already, Clancy. <laughs> yuck, yuck, yuck. Mind, mind you don't get the bird, Clancy. Yuck, 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 Watch yuck. out, boys. She really is laying another. By golly, he's right. Oh, what do you know? Uh, put her down on the desk over here. Oh, that's right. Over here. All right, now, all right. Stand back, everybody. Give the lady air. Give the lady air. Ah, that's better. Open one of the drawers for her to lay in. Yeah, good idea. It went clean, oh! clean through the drawers. Well, what do you expect? It's heavy. It's a golden egg. You're darn right it's heavy. Damn near broke my toe. Yeah, I should have moved your great flat foot. All right, boys, move uh, over. Now, this concludes the entertainment. Come on, Emily. You're going to see the DA. Come on, old girl. Well, uh, so long, old man. Bye, Clancy. Bye, boys. Come along, Emily. Now, good, good. <laughs> now then, who's got the egg? Here. 
What about that egg? Uh, oh, what egg, Clancy? I haven't seen any egg. Anybody uh, here seen any egg? No, I, not me. I haven't seen Come any egg. Come on, you bums. Which one of your bums has got it? Not me. Oh, yeah, yeah, you. What's that you got under your necktie? Uh, that, that's just my Adam's apple, Come sir. Come wouldn't you bum? Ah, I thought as much. Shame on you, stealing the poor creature's egg. Have you no respect for the sacred feelings of a mother? Well, be golly, I ought to run you in for egg napping. And so the great world got to hear about Emily. Though the editors were rather skeptical at first, editors have a basic philosophy of skepticism. You're drunk. I am a member of the Brothers of Temperance. Then you're nuts. It wasn't long before even the most skeptical editors checked back with the DA's office and were finally persuaded. Well, I don't know what we can do about it. But I know what I'd like to do about it. I don't know what the readers are going to say, though. Read all about it! Goose lays golden eggs! Goose lays golden eggs? Fancy that. Goose lays golden eggs. Oh, what is the world coming to? Tripe. Goose lays golden eggs indeed. I'll write to the editor. I'll goose him. That started it. The big Emily boom was on. The first thing to do, of course, was to make sure that Mr. and Mrs. Priddington got nothing out of it. So a special company was quickly formed. The Golden Egg Corporation, a very attractive investment. Offices were rented. Come and see our magnificent suite of handsome modern offices to be built within six months. And the proper action was taken against Mr. and Mrs. Preenington. Caveat. Whereas, here in after. Party of the first part. Summon. Ritz. Injunction. And goodness knows what else besides. Whereas, the said Donald Preenington and the said Mott Preenington did unlawfully, illegally, and with malicious intent find and discover themselves to be in possession of one gray goose marked Exhibit A... And here and after, to be referred to as Emily, actually the property of the Golden Egg Corporation, to the great detriment and malfeasance of the financial profits, emoluments, and general accruements of the said Golden Egg Corporation. Therefore... Of course, Mr. and Mrs. Pinnington had nothing to say against such a complicated charge as that, and in due course, the jury delivered a verdict of... Guilty! Whereupon the judge said... It uh, seems, prisoners, that... Uh... Your goose is cooked. There was laughter in court in which the learned judge could not but join. And you are hereby sentenced to 107 years hard labor each, without the option. And the court sincerely trusts that this will be a lesson to you. So, Mr. and Mrs. Priddington, who first discovered Emily, were put away in jail which they very richly deserved for having dared to meddle with the Golden Egg Corporation and all its peaceful shareholders, while Emily's interests were being carefully looked after by the splendid big company. You will be glad to hear that Mr. Pennington was still very resigned and poetical, though Mrs. Pennington, who was not a poetical type, was a little bit peeved, because, after all, they hadn't done anything wrong. Let's say goodbye to Mr. and Mrs. Pennington in prison. Goodbye. Goodbye. And remember that stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. Love I not honor more. Who's she? Who's who? Honor more. And there they are in prison. And I'm afraid that's the last we shall hear of Mr. Pennington, the poetical type father, and his wife, the non-poetical type Mrs. Pennington. <laughs> but Emily grew more and more fat and successful and popular every day. She laid more and more golden eggs every day and grew stronger and healthier every day. Doctors examined her to try and find out how she did it. Say, ah. 
Honk. Uh-huh. Uh, see, uh, 99. Honkity honk. Uh-huh. And dentists examined her, too, for that matter. Open wide, Larry. <laughs> but in the end, they all had to confess themselves. Baffled. How, How about, about you? you? Oh, yes, yes. And, of course, there was a great to-do among all the scientists. All the scientists who were not either in jail or testifying before royal commissions got together and examined Emily with x-rays and other clever things. They were both very surprised. How very surprising. Mutual. I can't see a thing. Nor me. I wondered if it's switched on. Have a look. All right. No, it isn't. Then let's switch it on. You think we ought? I mean, there isn't an order in council or anything. What if there is? Let's be devils. All right. Let's. Farewell. I can see now. Let me look. Let me look. Let me look. There. See? Eggs. Oh, yes. Dozens of them, I say. Isn't this rare sport? I don't care if there is an order in council, do you? I don't. It still beats me how she does it. Does what? I mean to say you put in bran mash at one end, and out comes gold at the other, you know. So it does. Mr. Fishbaum thinks that it's the essential equipoise of the principal chromosomes that's causing the marked glorification of the ovarian products. Or to borrow Dr. Clunk's felicitous expression, the oreovulation. Quite right. And I don't understand it either. You know, really what she does is transmute the bran mash into gold. It's really an atomic process. All right, men. That's all we wanted to know. The police! Then there was an order in council. Every word you said has been taken down by this special typewriter. Hasn't it? Yes, indeed. You're accused of conducting illegal atomic research and discussing priceless secrets in front of an unauthorized goose, namely Emily. But she lays the eggs herself. Emily knows all about it. These days, a secret is a secret no matter who knows all about it. Load the weasels with chains and pop them in the Bastille. Emily got more and more famous every day. Soon people started naming things after her. Have you read the Emily collection of hideously horrific, terrifying stories? Each story guaranteed to raise horrible Emily brand goose pimples all over you. Try the Emily brand savory sauce. Contains no ingredients whatever and so can do no possible harm to anybody. It's sauce for the goose, says Emily. Try the Emily brand sleep easy goose down quilt. Look for the genuine peck mark on each and every label. Try. The Emily Golden Egg Omelette Mix. You can beat it, friends, but you can't beat it. The dividends of the Golden Egg Corporation went up and up. One percent, two percent, three, four, ten, fifty percent. What do you know? Oh, a hundred. No, a thousand. Ten thousand percent. Zowie! While a lot of others dropped down and down. Consolidated gold, down three points. Amalgamated gold, down 30 points. United gold, down 300 points. And this made a lot of people hate poor Emily and envy her her own little accomplishment. Usually these nasty people were a lot of nasty men who stood around ticker tape machines all day. See that, T.R.? United Gold's nosedive 300 points. Good Lord, J.J. again. Again, T.R. This is the fourth straight day United Gold's nosedive 300 points. What are we going to do, J.J.? One of us, T.R., must commit suicide. Oh, I see that, J.J., but which one? Well, let's toss a coin, T.R. Yeah, but do you happen to have one on you? I only carry $100 bills. Well, I carry a $10 gold piece to remind me of my early poverty. Fine, T.R. We'll toss that. 
It's, uh... <laughs> It's heads. Uh, what does it mean, J.J.? What does it mean? Uh, do, I, do I win or do I lose? You lose, old man. Oh. There, there, bear up. I wish it could have been some other way, but it's too late now. Take this pearl-handled gold revolver. Don't mention gold. It's only gold plate. There. Let me help you. I'll see you make page one, old man. May you find heartsease at the rainbow's end, old man. Keep an eye on textiles preferred. <laughs> Darling, have a nice day at the office. Horrible. T.R. shot himself today. Tomorrow it may be me. Who knows? What on earth did he want to go and shoot himself for? Well, he didn't want to. I practically had to pull the trigger for him. But that blasted goose is ruining the markets. Why, it's a sweet goose. Did you see its cute little pictures in the paper? No, and I don't want to. Blast that goose. Blast and obliterate that goose. I think you're just being a big baby. Do you realize that the market is being flooded with gold? If there's much more gold poured into the market, the entire world will be ruined. Poverty, desolation, famine everywhere. All because that blasted goose is flooding the world with gold. I don't see that at all. Gold isn't any good to eat. What does it matter how much there is of it? International finance isn't based on things to eat. International finance is based on gold. Why? Why? No, you don't understand, woman. I certainly don't. And don't you start calling me a woman. Sorry, dear. Gold is the basis of bargaining. There'd be no international finance, no business as we know it, if people ignored gold. Yeah, a piece of gold is worth a sewing machine, see? The same piece of gold is worth a hundred dinners. Therefore, a sewing machine is worth a hundred dinners. That's business. Well, it isn't sense. If that's all the good your nasty old gold does, I'm glad Emily's spoiling it for you. A sewing machine isn't worth a hundred dinners at all. Can a hundred people eat a sewing machine? Answer me that. Well, not yeah, likely. Yeah. That's where your gold gets you. Thinking there's going to be starvation because something goes wrong with gold. There'll only be starvation if something goes wrong with the food. Now, come and eat your dinner and stop talking nonsense. I only hope the poor bird doesn't die before you come to your senses. Die? Die! That's an idea. Quite an idea. <laughs> die! So a lot of the nasty men who stood around ticker tape machines all day, those that hadn't committed suicide, of course, started sending cables. Take a cable. And telephone. Get me long distance. And traveling up and down. Give me a reservation. And in due course, they all met somewhere. Somewhere underground and slimy. Dozens and dozens of nasty men who stood around ticker tape machines from all over the world, they came. And do you know what they did? They started to plot and scheme to get rid of poor Emily. They wanted to kill the goose that laid the golden eggs. There. What do you think of that for ingratitude? Isn't it horrible? At last they drew up a plan. Gentlemen, the plan will be as follows. Good morning. I want to buy a goose, a live goose, like this photograph. Yes, why, that's Emily! I know. My little granddaughter wanted Emily for her birthday. <laughs> the wife and I thought we'd try to give her the next best thing. Morning. I want to buy a knife. Uh, yes, sir. What sort of knife? Well, I want a pretty long knife, nice and pointy. Oh, and uh, make sure it's good in the shop, will you? While all this terrible plotting was going on, poor Emily was getting more and more popular and more and more loved all over the world. No one even suspected the diabolical plot that was going on, except the people in it, of course. 
Emily fan clubs are growing up all over the place. Their badge was a little golden egg and their motto... Up the golden egglets. Emily was probably the most popular goose in the world. She was pin-up goose for hundreds of organizations. The Grand Society of Capitoline Geese, opposed to Turkey for Thanksgiving, hereby elects Emily, uh, the golden egg girl, pin-up goose for the coming year. Fellow members, three rousing honks for Emily... Honk, honk, honk. And a gosling. Honk. Then the nasty men who stood around the ticker tape machines hatched their fiendish plot. Late one night they sneaked into the big building where Emily lived. One of them carried the other goose tied up in a sack and another carried the long knife, nice and pointy, which they had taken care was good and sharp. They tiptoed through the silent rooms, pausing only to bribe the watchman. A thousand dollar bill. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Well, um, first to the left and mind your step. At last they came to the room where Emily was sitting fast asleep. In a second they grabbed her. Grabber, that's right. Swack, swack, swack. Swack, swack. You'll soon be. Chopped off her head. Then they popped the other goose down in her place and rushed off home. They had killed Emily the goose that laid the golden eggs, proving that in this world there is no gratefulness. But there are miracles. Well, well, that was delicious. <laughs> There's nothing I like so much as a tender, well-cooked mm, Me too. <laughs> yes, sirree. Yes, see, what time is it? I don't know. I'll switch on the radio. Well, sir, I guess that's just about ties up that gold egg affair. <laughs> International Finance can thank us for tonight's work. We have saved the business world as we know it. Here is a special flash. Officials inspecting Emily's home tonight on their nightly inspection tour were appalled to find blood and feathers all over the floor. And Emily looking strangely changed. You bet, brother. You bet. But to everybody's surprise and astonishment, Emily, when properly woken up, seemed healthier and more lovable than ever, and at once created a new record by laying in quick succession no fewer than three golden eggs, each studded with diamonds. All About Emily, a fantastic adventure designed by Lister Sinclair and first heard in this series on February the 25th, 1945, was part two of our 21st anniversary celebrations. Presented with Andrew Allen as the storyteller, Henry Comer and Alice Hill as Mr. and Mrs. Donald Preenington, and Ruth Springford as Emily. We gratefully acknowledge the contribution by the many talented performers who portrayed such an array of characters in the revival of these two now famous playlets. To our distinguished guest list, on this occasion we add the names of John Bethune, Sidney Brown, Fred D.L., Alan King, Paul Kligman, Beth Lockerbie, Jane Mallett, Arch McDonnell, Douglas Master, Frank Perry, Claude Ray, George Robertson, Alfie Scott, Sandra Scott, John Scott, Tommy Tweed, and Alexander Webster. The music was composed and conducted by Morris Surden. Sound effects were by Bill Roach, and technical operation by Terry Rustling. The producer-director, Essa W. Young. 
Ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the Stage 55 series, Andrew Allen and his gifted and versatile musical director, Lucio Agostini, who together had won well-earned national and international recognition for their efforts, turned over the responsibility for the continuation of their creation to Maurice Zerden and me. Only too well do we know and humbly note with admiration and sincere gratitude that without the firm foundation the builders gave it, without the full and faithful support of our writers and performers, without the tolerance and interest of our shareholders, the listeners, we would not be here now to observe the coming of age of an institution to which so much has been given by so many for so long. We can only hope it will continue to serve as a source of information, inspiration and entertainment for years to come. Many thanks for coming to our birthday party. We will be glad to have you with us in person and in spirit. We cordially invite you to be with us again next week at the same time for another dramatic entertainment. Yours for the listening to CBC Stage. Bill Lorne speaking. From our Canadians Abroad file, we have an episode of Matinee Theatre from March 11, 1945. It features Victor Jory, who was born in Dawson City, Yukon, and the title is Rendezvous at Meyerling. Vix presents the Matinee Theatre, starring Victor Jory and featuring Claire Neeson in Rendezvous at Meyerling. Vicks, the makers of Vicks Vaporub, Vicks Vatronol, Vicks Cough Drops, and Vicks Inhaler, brings you the Matinee Theatre, starring Victor Jory in our original play that you selected for this week, the unforgettable love story, Rendezvous at Meyerling. Here's a good thing to remember when you catch a cold. The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of colds is Vicks Vaporub. There are many stories and many legends about the romance of Marie Facera and Crown Prince Rudolph. The actual historic facts have been set down for all to read, but the events leading up to those happenings have been cloaked in legend. Here, then, is one of these legends, Rendezvous at Myerling. That's in my pendant, Anna. There you are, mademoiselle. How do I look? In all my life, I've never seen anyone so beautiful. You will be the belle of the ball. You know, Anna, I have the strangest feeling. I think this night is going to be important to me. And why should it not be? You are young and beautiful, and you are going to a masked ball in the prettiest costume any young lady could want. Where is my mask? Here it is, hide by your gloves. Come, Marie. Your father and Arnold are already waiting in the carriage. Oh, I wish Arnold were not going with us. Arnold is so dull. He always says the same things. Arnold is of good family, and he will make you a very good match. What more do you want? I want someone who is challenging and romantic. I want someone who makes it fun to be alive. Arnold is a very fun young man. Arnold, you watch. As soon as we start to dance, he'll say, Marie, you do look most charming tonight. And then he'll wait a while and he'll say, Marie, you are the most splendid dancer I know. And then he is sure to say...
Marie, you do look most charming tonight. Thank you, Arnold. Not at all. Marie, you are the most splendid dancer I know. Arnold, I feel a bit faint. Would you mind? I'd like to go over by the balcony a moment. Of course, Marie. I hope you feel better, though. We've just arrived, and we have the whole evening ahead of us. Yes, the whole evening. Arnold, would you mind getting me a glass of water? Of course, Marie. Will you be all right alone? Yes, of course. I'll be quite all right alone. I won't be long, Marie. What is such a pretty young lady doing all by herself out here on the balcony? Oh, I beg your pardon. I didn't know anyone was out here. Don't go. Well, I, I can't stay out here. I don't even know you. Well, I don't know you. I'm going to take a chance. After all, this is a masked ball, and a great many strangers will get acquainted tonight on the pretext of pretending they're talking to an old friend. I don't know you, do I? No, not yet. Isn't it strange? I feel as though I do. Isn't it strange? So do I. Would you dance? Yes, I'd love to. Something about the way you fit into my arms that's just about perfect. <laughs> I really should leave you. You know, I had a partner. Yes? I sent him for some water about... Oh, it must have been two hours ago. You think he may come looking for you? Oh, definitely. He's a very conscientious young man. Do you know what I do about conscientious people? No, what? I run away from them. What do you say? Where shall we run to? Any place, every place. Come on, let's take a look at Vienna. I'd like to see how it looks with you beside me. How does it usually look? Serious, stodgy, dull. But I don't think it'll look that way tonight. Do you? No. I don't think it'll look like that tonight. Marie! Marie! That's my young man. Come on, out through this door. Marie! Oh, Marie. (laughs) (laughs) And then what did you do? I said, Madame, no self-respecting captain of the guard would think of going out with a lady he didn't know. I must be excused. So, you're a captain of the guard. Well, I was that night, anyhow. Oh, it's a wonderful night, isn't it? Just look at that moon. I ordered it especially for you. I called in Alphonse just before I left the ball. Alphonse is my man. Alphonse, I said, I want a very special moon tonight because I'm going to meet a very special young lady. You may be disappointed when I take off my mask. No. Give me your arm. Let us walk along the Danube and pretend that we've walked here every night for the past three months. Why three months? Because with three months' acquaintance behind us, you couldn't possibly be offended if I kissed you. I am going to kiss you, you know. You're very sure of yourself, aren't you? I am tonight. I don't know why, but... I only know tonight that we've met. That I had to... kiss you. Oh, darling. Darling. I've waited a long time for you. And for that kiss... I've waited a very long time. Take off that mask. Take off yours. All right. Hello, my darling. Hello, my darling. Look, it's almost daylight. Mm. This has been the most beautiful evening of my life. I'm sorry it's over. Come, I'll take you to your door. 
When will I see you again? I don't know. As soon as possible. Isn't it funny? I don't know who you are or anything about you. I don't even know your name. I only know that there's always been a loneliness inside of me. And now it's gone. Oh, you're sweet. You're so very sweet. Does it matter that you don't know my name or who I am? No. All that matters is that at last I've met you. Huh. You know, I... I never in my life believed that people actually did fall in love at first sight. But they do. Don't they? Oh, yes. They do. I'll see you soon. I'll be waiting. Well, Marie, where have you been? I don't know how to answer that. Oh, I think I've been in heaven. Are you aware that it's daylight now? Your father and Arnold and I were nearly frantic. Whom did you leave the ball with? I don't know his name. You don't know his name? Marie, what's come over you? You'd never understand, Mama. You are a shameless girl. If I ever know you to do anything so disgraceful again, I shall send you away from Vienna forever. Now get to your bed. I suppose you've forgotten that you're to be presented to the Empress this afternoon. I had forgotten. I had forgotten everything in the world. Your Majesty, the Baroness Fatera and her daughter, Baroness Marie Fatera. Your Majesty? Your Majesty. Your daughter is very lovely, Baroness Fatera. Your Majesty is most gracious. Tell me, Marie, would you like to join my ladies in waiting here at court? Oh, Your Majesty, it would be the greatest honor of my life. It will be a pleasure to have you. I've known your father and mother a long time. You've been away at school, or I would have had invited you before. Oh, Rudolph, yes. come and meet the Baroness Vachera and her daughter, Marie. This is my son, Crown Prince Rudolph. Baroness Vachera? And the Baroness Marie Vachera. Baroness, it's indeed a pleasure to meet you both. Isn't Stephanie coming to the reception, Rudolph? No, Mother, she isn't feeling well today. Rudolph's wife is not as strong as our Austrian girls. Won't you introduce Marie to some of the others, Rudolph, while I have a chat with her mother? I'll be delighted. Will you take my arm, Baroness? With pleasure, Your Highness. Come in here where we can be alone. I think you've met anyone, everyone anyway. You aren't... You're sorry you came, aren't you? I would have told you last night who I was, but I was afraid you would run away. So I thought, tonight we'll keep everything shut out. Then whatever happens, we shall have had that much at any event. You meant never to see me again? I would have tried to stay away from you. I don't know whether I would have succeeded. Are you in love with Stephanie? I'm in love with you. My marriage is the usual royal marriage, my dear. I've never been in love with... I've never been in love in my life. Until now. We mustn't stay here in the library. Someone will come hunting for us. Not while the refreshments are being served. Marie, what are we to do? What can we do? Two things. Either see each other or not see each other. The wise thing is not exactly the happy thing, is it? Marie, don't turn away from me. Look at me. I don't want to look at you. If I do, I'll be lost because I must not see you again. We should never have met. We had to meet. We belong to each other. Marie. Please, don't put your arms around me. You were a prince and married. You can never belong to me. But I do belong to you. It's wrong. It's wicked. No, no, you're saying those things because you've heard other people say them. Is it wrong to be happy? 
Is it wicked when together we have a world of our own that is beautiful and exciting and sweet and wonderful? Yes, because you're married. What kind of a marriage is it? Because the heads of two governments think marriage is politics? Does that make it good and right and fine? A marriage is only good when it's between two people who want to live together because they cannot bear to live apart. Oh, Marie, if I could marry you... Don't. Don't say those things. We have no future not together. Let's not talk of what might have been or should have been. Marie, the hours we live run out swiftly. We've already wasted much of the time that we could have been together. Let's take the hours we have and live them as they come. Let us take whatever measure of happiness life will give us. And how will it end? I don't know. But if it matters how it ends, then go now, Marie. I won't follow you. I won't ever try to see you again. I'll respect your judgment. Well, Marie? Oh, my darling. My darling. I cannot say I will not see you again. It doesn't matter how it ends if I can be with you. You are all the happiness that I can know in my lifetime. I know that. Whether it's wrong or right or good or bad is beyond my power to judge now. I only know I love you. And I must see you. Or I will die. Marie. Let us take the hours and live them as they come. Without questions, without regrets. Until they end. If sorrow comes. When sorrow comes. When sorrow comes, we will meet it together. <laughs> oh, don't cry. Please don't cry, Marie. I... I think loves like ours, Rudolph, are always set to tears. No. This hour will be gay. From the beginning, it will be gay. From the beginning... Until the ending. In just a moment, we will bring you the second act of Rendezvous at Meyerling, starring Victor Jory. It's the 11th of March. Winter is almost over and spring is in the air. Yet millions of folks are dragging around feeling miserable with colds. Now, if a cold is distressing someone in your home, then you'll be interested in this. The best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of colds is Vicks VapoRub. It's the modern way so widely used to ease distress of colds because the moment you rub it on, VapoRub's relief-giving action goes right to work to help relieve congestion and irritation in the upper breathing passages, to ease the coughing spasms, sore throat, and that muscular soreness or tightness. And relief is so good because VapoRub penetrates, penetrates into the cold, congested upper bronchial tubes with its special soothing medicinal vapors. And at the same time, it stimulates, stimulates chest and back surfaces like a comforting, warming poultice. And for hours, this penetrating, stimulating action of VapoRub keeps right on working to bring such grand, satisfying relief. Now, whenever a cold strikes, remember this. Only VapoRub gives you this special penetrating, stimulating action. Time-tested, home-proved, Vicks VapoRub. And now the second act of Rendezvous at Myling, starring Victor Jory as the Crown Prince and featuring Claire Neeson as Marie. <laughs> I suppose you've heard about Crown Prince Rudolph and that girl, that Baroness Vachera. I should say I have. Everyone in Austria has heard about them. Shameless pair. I saw them myself last night, dancing at Auergarten. 
I love to dance with you. You have wings when you dance. It's because I'm dancing with you. Look, everyone is looking at us. No, there are no people there. We are dancing alone across a star without another human being in sight. Let's dance forever. Yes, let us dance forever. Well, I don't know what you think about it, but I think the prince is a disgrace to the whole country. I don't know why his father or his wife doesn't do something about it. You know, I saw them riding in a carriage yesterday through the Vienna woods at positively breakneck speed. Faster, Rudolph, faster. Oh, this is the best team I've ever had. What a pair of horses. I've never ridden like this in my life. It's like rushing to meet life, isn't it? I'll have to check them. We're almost to the end. Whoa! Whoa there, steady. Steady. I hope they have supper already for us. I'm starved to death. What would you like to eat? What does a crown prince usually eat? Peacock's breast and lark's tongue. And what does a baronet usually eat? Oh. Oh, how about roast beef? <laughs> Wonderful, darling. Wonderful. You're such a good fellow, Marie. You have such a zest for living. Yes. Because I want every moment to be very full. I'm telling you, I saw them with my own eyes last night, walking beside the Danube outside the city, arm in arm. Ask me for something, something you've always wanted. I'd like to give you the world. You have given me the world. There's nothing that would make you more happy? Yes, there is. But you couldn't give it to me, Rudolph. No, tell me. I'd like a house. Yes. A small house somewhere out here beside the Danube. Oh. A house that you would be the heart of Rudolph. A friendly house where we could invite the people we love to come and laugh with us. Yes, yes. And that would stretch to make room for two or three little boys who would look like you. Mm. And scowl like you and smile that same quick smile that makes my heart turn open. Rudolph. Oh, Rudolph. Oh, my dear. You see, I told you you couldn't give it to me. Such dreams are for the people, never for rulers. All over the country, people are sitting before their fires now in houses like that. And few of them know how fortunate they are. Or how desperately we'd like to be one of them. The world has no place in it for you or me. The world has locked its doors and set its words against us. We have only each other, Marie. That is so much more than many people have, Rudolph. You are my world. You're my life and my love and my happiness. I'll never give you up, Marie. Even though I die for it, I'll never give you up. Oh, Rudolph. Even though I die for it, I'll never give you up. Marie, you are never to see Crown Prince Rudolph again. I forbid you. Do you realize that everyone in the world is gossiping about you? I don't care what anyone in the world is saying. It's no one's concern but our own. You are behaving shamelessly, sneaking out at all hours, telling me you're going to meet some friend in the afternoon and meeting that man, constantly lying, deceiving. A year this has been going on, and in spite of everything I've said, I'm ashamed to have to acknowledge you as my daughter. Mother, please, please listen to me. Now try to understand. I shall never understand, nor do I want to understand. What is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. There is no compromise that can be made with honor. Rudolph is married and he is the future ruler of Austria. I love him. You have no right to love him. Do you think you can say you must not love and that will make a difference? If you do, you have no comprehension of love like this. 
We didn't choose to fall in love. We didn't plan it. It just happened, that's all. Happened the moment I looked at him. It was like coming home. I know he's married. I know he's the future emperor. But knowing it doesn't make any difference because we belong together. Together we are somehow complete and content. And apart, neither of us has anything. If that were not true of him, too, then I would do as you ask. But as long as he needs me and wants me, I will see it. You are a wicked, shameless girl. I'm not wicked. My love is good and honest and real. If we were hypocrites or bad people, we would have hidden our romance and lied about it. You shall not, you cannot make me ashamed of my love. It is my pride, it is my honor. It is my whole life. Arie, you are never to see the crown prince again. This disgraceful affair is going to end right now. And forever. Rudolph, there is no use in any further discussion. I forbid you to see this woman again. You don't understand, Father. You will never understand. No, I don't understand. What kind of a man are you? What kind of a prince? You have no right to sully the Habsburg name. You're disgracing your country and the throne that you will inherit. I order you to put this woman from your life. You are a prince of the House of Habsburg. Your dignity and honor is the dignity and honor of the entire lineage. And if I refuse to do as you ask? Then I will take matters into my own hands and see that she is sent where you will never see her. Well, Rudolph? Very well, Father. I will do as you ask. I'll meet her just once more and tell her. Then you will have nothing to fear from me again. I don't mean to be unfeeling, Rudolph. I know what it is to love. But love must be put aside if it is at odds with honor. When will you tell her? Going for a day's hunting, miling. I'll take her with me. You surely cannot deny me the right to tell her in my own way. You give me your word that this will be your last rendezvous? Yes. Our meeting at Marling will be our last rendezvous. Come out on the balcony, Rudolph. Look, the stars are fading. It's a beautiful night. I'm glad it's so beautiful. You know, it's a strange feeling to look at the stars and the moon and know that you'll never see them again. You suddenly feel that you should look long and hard at everything. It's not necessary, necessary for you to go through this, Marie. I'll leave you behind if you like. You're young, you're lovely. You have so much to live for. I have nothing to live for in a world that you've left. Come sit beside the fire with me for a little while. If you like. Here. Let me put my arm around you. Darling. Tell me. If we had had that house, what would it be like? Well, every morning I would have gotten up early and fixed your breakfast. Yes. And we would have had it in front of the fire. And then I would have walked with you down to get the carriage yes. and ridden a ways with you and then walked home. And where would I be going? To work. Oh, <laughs> I see. <laughs> and then I would have cleaned the house and dusted and made everything right for you to come home to. And in the afternoon, the boys and I would have had a frolic outside. Mm. And then I would get them all scrubbed and clean and 
Ready for their father. And I'd come home and we'd have dinner and tuck the children in bed and then we'd... We'd sit like this night after night, growing old, growing old together. Oh, I'd have liked that house. I wish the world had a house for us, Marie. I know. Are you sorry? Have you any regrets? Regrets? Not one. I've had a year of more happiness than most people have in a lifetime. We've completed our lifetime this year, Marie. I know. And it's been beautiful. Maybe the beauty hurt a little now and then when people closed in on it. But even the pain was beautiful. Oh, Rudolph, the only thing that frightens me a little is that we're facing the unknown now. I may never feel your arms or your lips again. I may never find you again. Yes, you'll find me. We'll only be a step. We'll cross the threshold together and then we'll find peace. And there's no peace on earth for us, my darling. There never would be. I know. And all day I've been praying that we will find it now. Look, my darling, it's almost dawn. Remember the night we met? The first time we saw the dawn together? And now it's the last time in this world. We've used up the hour, Marie. Now it's the last hour. Almost the last moment. Here, let me carry you. Kiss me goodnight, Rudolph. My darling. Good night, my darling. Sweet dreams. God be with you. Until we meet again. Rudolph, there is a lion. Do you know it? Parting is such sweet sorrow. But we shall meet again when it be moral. We shall meet again. I'll meet again. Look, the sun is coming up. Yes. We shall be free before it fully rises. We promised it would be our last rendezvous, and we've kept our word. Close your eyes, my darling. Close your eyes. We shall meet again. When it be morrow. denied them the right to love, talked about them, wondered about them, finally wept, and left them in peace. just a moment, an important message from Victor Jory. These days, we expect lots of things we buy to be different, not as good as they were before the war. But that isn't true of Vicks VapoRub. There are no wartime substitutes in VapoRub. The VapoRub you buy today is the same expert formula, the very same effective quality you enjoyed before the war. 
To keep faith with the millions of families who rely on Vaporub, we combed and scoured the free countries of the world for the essential aromatics and medications. We were successful in finding new sources. And so, my friends, there are no wartime substitutes in Vaporub. It's the same good Vaporub that has become the best-known home remedy for relieving miseries of colds. Time-tested, home-proved Vicks Vaporub. Our script today was an original radio play by Gene Holloway and was directed by Richard Sandville. Music for this series is under the direction of Mark Warno. Be sure to be with us next week when Vicks, the makers of Vicks Vatronol, Vicks Cough Drops, and Vicks Inhaler, brings you another great matinee theater production starring Victor Jory. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.